What's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 32, and we're going to cover Leviticus 4 through 6. Last time, we established the five main offerings of the sacrificial system, and we'll recap those again. We have the whole burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Yesterday, we covered the whole burnt offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering. And today, we'll cover the sin and the guilt offering. Now, we mentioned of the five sacrifices, three of them were for worship and two were for sin. And that helps our thinking because it teaches us that God is just as much concerned about worship as he is dealing with sin. And this is good because it pushes us in the direction of becoming a worshiper. And here's the catch. If you move toward worship, you're in the presence of God where sin cannot exist. And so by taking care of the worship, you take care of the sin because sin cannot dwell in God's presence. The sacrificial system is always a helpful reminder to me that we are to become worshipers and not just focus on sin. If we focus on the character of God, our sin will be dealt with. It's a foregone conclusion because we're in the presence of a holy God. So let's look at the sin offering. The sin offering starts in chapter four. Let's read verse one and two. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and commits any of them. Now let's stop there. We're going to notice something very important, which I said was going to be a shocker today. The sacrificial system only provides for unintentional sins, which means if you sin intentionally, there's no sacrifice for you. There's no direct atonement within this model for your sin. Now there's a catch-all on the day of atonement that we could talk about but we'll have to develop that later. Now, if you remember David in Psalm 51, he says, there's no offering for me. Otherwise, I would give it. Why does he say that? Because he knows that there's no offering within the five that is made available for him. He knows that his sin with Bathsheba and the execution of Uriah was intentional. It was not unintentional. And he knows that. He knows the law well. He's mastered this language. And so he says, this is Psalm 51. He says, there is no sacrifice for me. Otherwise, I would give it. Now, let's look at verse three. It says the priest is to contribute a bull in verse three. But if you look at verses 13 and 14, it says if the whole nation sins, they are to contribute a bull. And this is the principle of corporate solidarity that we've been talking about. The priest represents the people and the people represent the priests. I want us to really get this concept. I've tried to push it ever since Judah. And now the sacrificial system is driving this theology on home. Look at verse 18. There's an offering where blood is poured out. Then by burnt offering, part of the animal is burned and also offered up like a peace offering. And you burn it all because of complete dedication to God. But remember, 
they're going to start piecing these offerings together. It's very important that we learn the five first. So when they start to put a language within a language and start to build on these five, we'll know what's happening. So in verse 24, it says, he shall lay his hand on the head of a male goat and slay it in place where they slay the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And something you'll notice here is that you have an animal depending on your role and you will lay hands on the animal to show that your sins are linked. And the animal is slaughtered, showing what should happen to you is happening to the animal and the animal is dying in your place. This is where we get substitutionary atonement from. It's depicted from the sacrificial system. It's a life for a life. This is why blood is important because it's symbolic and its functional value. The life is in the blood. And so this is why scripture starts to make serious talk around blood, even with menstrual cycles, even with men not touching dead corpse. All of this is significant because we are anti-fall. We're anti-death nation. We're going back to Eden and we take blood seriously because God is going to redeem through blood. And so we're understanding a holistic package of salvation. Paul uses the Le Levitical system to build his logic. And so once you understand this, you get all things salvation and sanctification by understanding Leviticus. Now let's look at the guilt offering in chapter five and six. Again, the guilt offering is for unintentional sins and unintentional basically means this. It's not premeditated. Even in our law, we get greater sentences for premeditated murder over and against manslaughter. So this is what's happening here. If it's not premeditated, a sacrifice remains for it. But if it's unintentional and premeditated, there remains no sacrifice. So what's the difference in a sin and a guilt offering? A guilt offering is basically just like a sin offering, but it carries more weight as it adds guilt into the mix. You need to do a little more to deal with guilt. And so remember our core basic ingredients, you can either have eggs or you can put the eggs with the milk and the flour and you can start to work on making a biscuit. This is what the guilt offering does. It puts sacrifices together it adds on the sin offering to do more. Let me give you an example. For instance, if the holy place is defiled, it's desecrated. Let's say you're going in to sacrifice and you're slaughtering your animal and you get woozy and you vomit, you throw up on the altar of burnt offering. You've now desecrated the altar. And so now this altar has to be cleansed. And you would have to deal with not only the sin, but the guilt that comes with that. And that's what's being communicated here. And not only that, there are elements where restitution has to be made. If somebody else is involved, in fact, our prayer in Matthew 6, it says, forgive us of our trespasses and those whom we trespass against. That's what guilt offering is dealing with. And that's what the Lord's prayer is pulling from even in dealing in that time. One more example. Remember Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 8 and 9? He says, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And he says, and if I have what? Defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it how? Fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And you see the beauty in that? Zacchaeus finally sees what this, the guilt offerings point to. If I could reword what Jesus is saying here, he's saying Zacchaeus, because you get the point of the sin offering, the guilt offering, and the total dedication offering, salvation is coming to your house today. You have found Jesus in Leviticus and you're being rewarded with salvation. And that's the goal for all of us. We must find Jesus in Leviticus and then salvation will come to our house. And I trust all of you have done that. Now we're moving into more talk about the guilt offering. But let me make this statement because this will help you. So far in chapters one through five, the sacrificial system had been given from the perspective of the worshiper. The instructions were given for the worshiper. Now in chapter six and seven, we're going to see the, the continuation of the guilt offering and we're going to pick up on priestly instructions. So now the offerings are about to be reiterated, but from the priest's perspective. So remember, read one through five from the perspective of the worshiper. That's how I was able to get the information that not the priest kills the sacrifice the worshiper does. But now we're about to see what the priest does in chapters six and seven. And verse 12 tells us again who the fat belongs to. Now we see what to do with that. Verse 14 through 23, it starts off in 14 says, now this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall present it before the Lord in front of the altar. You see that there? Now this is what the priests are to do with the grain offering. Verses 24 through 29 tells us what they're to do with the sin offering. Let me read some of that. Look at this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, this is the law of the sin offering. And you're getting that blow by blow again, what we just talked about from the perspective of the priests. Again, remember our goal is for Leviticus to be highly devotional to you, which is why I would like to close with Isaiah 53. Christ fulfills all of the sacrificial system. Verse four, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being failed upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has called the iniquity of us all to fall on him. There you have it, corporate solidarity. Jesus has paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Closing with verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself to be now this makes more sense because of what we just studied, Leviticus. He would render himself a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong their days. 
because of the gift offering, you can have prolonged days. What is that? That's a resurrection and that's eternal life. Jesus has secured your future. Trust in him and him alone. Praying for you guys. Love you. And I'll catch you again on day 33, where we yeah. cover Leviticus 7 through 9.